0: I'm reading from a book that came out today. Today is the publication date for this book, Interstellar. Quote, are we alone? Whenever there is a serious scientific inquiry into this question, it inevitably attracts a lot of light and noise from the public. But in all that attention, another important question can get lost. Why are we here? Dr. Avi Loeb is asking this question in Interstellar, The Search for Extraterrestrial Life and Our Future in the Stars. Dr. Loeb is the Frank Baird Jr. Professor of Science at Harvard University. He's the longest-serving chair of Harvard's Department of Astronomy. He's the founding director of Harvard's Black Hole Initiative and a heck of a lot more. Dr. Loeb, thank you for being here on Publication Day. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. It's the perfect day for reasons you're aware, because I I know that you've made a major announcement today. We'll get to that in a moment. But let's first talk about Interstellar, the book, because the two subjects are interconnected. Why do you say we also need to address the question of why are we here when we are wondering, are we alone?
1: Because um, uh, we are distracted by conflicts, uh, by this. Surface of the rock that we were born on, but we are not looking out. And uh, if we ever find that we have a partner out there, it will inspire us to uh, think bigger, uh, work together. We are all in the same boat—the uh, Earth sailing through space—and we better recognize that.
0: You're right. I do not believe these two questions can be disentangled. Whatever we face, when whatever we factually discover. It will raise yet more fundamental questions. What is the meaning of our individual life and collective lives? And this is the part that I highlighted. If a god exists, did it exist prior to the Big Bang and act as our universe's original first mover? Or did it come into existence after the Big Bang? And if so, what is humanity's relationship to an entity possessing knowledge of the physical world and its laws, vastly greater than ours, but learned in a shared history universe. I never contemplated the idea that the Big Bang could have preceded the idea of God. I always thought that if one believes in God, God preceded, came first.
1: Well, the notion of God uh, is very well approximated by a much more advanced civilization because it would be superhuman. Just think about a cave dweller coming to New York City. Uh, the cave dweller would be astonished and will have some religious, oh, looking at the neon signs and all the gadgets out there. Uh, and so when we encounter a much more advanced civilization, it might look to us like God. And if they have understanding of how to unify quantum mechanics and gravity, something we don't possess, uh, they could potentially engineer a baby universe using the laws of quantum gravity. And that is a quality we assign to God in religious texts. So in principle, they could serve as God for us and they could create a baby universe inside of which new scientists create more baby universes, just like humans uh, are born as babies and eventually they mature become adults and make new babies that later on make new babies and so on. How do you balance matters
0: of faith and science? You're the former chair of the Board of Physics and Astronomy
1: of the National Academies. I think in both cases, uh, uh, you know, we are exploring the unknown, uh, except that in the case of science, uh, we're basing it on measurements by instruments. And so the data can be shared by all scientists, whereas in religion, it's often subjective. Uh, It's the person who experiences uh, the the uh, notion of believing in something, uh, and uh, in my view, you can bring the two together if we encounter something we don't fully understand scientifically. If it's uh, far more advanced than uh, we are able to uh, understand based on our experience here on Earth, so uh, you know it will be. It's sort of uh, a religious experience for us to um, uh, see something uh, operating at a level well above the technologies that we possess.
0: Dr. Loeb, you were profiled in the New York Times magazine just last week under the headline, How a Harvard Professor Became the World's Leading Alien Hunter. They said Avi Loeb's single-minded search for extraterrestrial life has made him the most famous practicing astronomer in the country and possibly the most controversial. How are you regarded in in your interpersonal dealings with your colleagues at at Harvard? Are are they thrilled for your notoriety and success, or do they look at you a little suspiciously because you've taken such an interest in extraterrestrial life?
1: Uh, No, I don't sense any of that uh, it's only people that don't know me that may have that uh, sense but the point is i'm i'm doing the work of science i'm trying to collect evidence myself i went to the pacific ocean recently and we can talk more about it uh, yeah. and so i don't feel strange at all it's just that the subject that i'm uh, studying is of great interest to the public great interest to government uh, there was a hearing in the House of Representatives last month, uh, where the word extraterrestrials was brought up uh, multiple times. And so I feel that it's my civil duty to attend to those interests and explore them scientifically. I don't see anything problematic with that.
0: So a couple of months ago, I, I should say you're in the news today because of the release of Interstellar, the search for extraterrestrial life and our future in the stars. And a link to the book, by the way, is in all my social media. Listen to Michael live weekdays on POTUS, Sirius XM channel 124 and on the SXM app. So a couple of months ago, I I should say you're in the news today because of the release of Interstellar, the search for extraterrestrial life and our future in the stars. And a link to the book, by the way, is in all my social media. But you're in the news for a different reason. And it's this a couple of months ago you led an expedition that retrieved metallic fragments from the Pacific Ocean floor off the coast of Papua New Guinea to study their composition. These were remnants of a fireball. Could you explain this to us and then, most importantly, tell us the conclusion that you've released just today?
1: Yeah, so almost a decade ago, the U.S. government satellites uh, detected uh, a fireball from an object roughly half a meter in size that exploded 17 kilometers above the Pacific Ocean, near Papua New Guinea. And uh, what was unusual about this object is it was moving very fast uh, and it couldn't be bound by gravity to the sun. So we realized uh, it came from outside the solar system based on its speed. Uh, But moreover, it was moving faster than 95% of the stars in the vicinity of the sun. So it was a fast mover. And uh, the fact that he maintained its integrity all the way down to the lower atmosphere, implied that it was tougher than all space rocks previously cataloged by NASA, 272 of them uh, over the past decade. So it raised the possibility that it might be technological in origin, a Voyager meteor. If Voyager collides with a planet like the Earth in the future, uh, it will appear as a meteor of unusual strength and speed. And so I led an expedition to the Pacific Ocean to look for anything left behind from this uh, meteor. And amazingly, we collected 700 uh, spherules those tiny droplets that melted off the surface of the object and, and fell to the ocean floor, which is more than a mile deep. Uh, and uh, we brought them back to Harvard University and examined them over the past two months. And amazingly, in the meteor site uh, along the path of the meteor, we found the concentration of spherols that are of a type that was never seen before in the scientific literature. Uh, they have composition that uh, is unprecedented with up to a thousand times more uranium than in the standard abundance of the solar system. Uh, and also beryllium is enhanced by factors of hundreds and uh, lanthanum, that's another element. So we call it Belao composition, beryllium, lanthanum, uranium, never seen before, and the question is where does it come from? Uh, what we suggest uh, are three possibilities. One, it came from a planet that was uh that had molten lava on it, a magma ocean, where elements were differentiated. There was an iron core that attracted some elements, and those that stayed on the surface are the ones that we see enhanced. Uh, Another possibility is that there was an exploding star that somehow enriched uh, the material with these unusual abundances, or it's of technological origin. And so in the future, we plan to um, analyze more spheros and go again to the same site. Perhaps we will find a big piece of the object. And then we can tell if it's a rock, a natural origin, or a technological gadget. Okay, so
0: in other words, the first two possibilities are would be naturally occurring, but the third would be otherworldly, right? Some Some force yeah. that was not naturally occurring.
1: Right. Um, and in that case, those elements are used for some purpose. And you can think of it also as a recipe for a cake. <laughs> we know the ingredients. We can put them together in a laboratory and see what kind of material we get. Uh, but as of now, it's not clear whether it was made uh, naturally or artificially by design. So,
0: Dr. Loeb, this fireball in January of 2014 is seen falling from space. You now, a decade later, go to the Pacific uh, off the coast of Papua New Guinea, and you're in search of whatever it might have been, but it's a mile down. How do, how large are these spherals, and how many of them do you think would be there in total if you collected 700?
1: Well, they are the si- each of them is the size of a grain of sand, uh, roughly oh. a millimeter, uh, the head of a pin. And uh, we collected them with a sled that we dragged on the ocean floor, skimming the surface. Uh, and it had magnets on both sides that collected these particles. But I must say that I was very worried we, w- we will not find anything because we surveyed the region seven miles in size. And uh, given that the ocean depth is a ma- more than a mile, Uh, It was almost a hopeless uh, mission, Uh, but um, actually the coordinator brought champagne to the ship that was fittingly called Silver Star. And I asked him afterwards, uh, why did you bring the champagne? Uh, How did you know we will find something? And he said, I'm an optimist. And so, you know, life is a self-fulfilling prophecy sometimes. If you don't search, you will not find anything.
0: How often have there been, if at all, similar reports of fireballs like that which you investigated? Is this an extraordinary occurrence or a common occurrence?
1: How would you categorize it? No, that happens uh, several times a year, but uh, only one in a thousand of those uh, comes from interstellar space based on our calculations. So only once per decade, we get an object half a meter to a meter in size colliding with Earth that came from outside the solar system. But since the cross-section of the Earth as it moves around the sun is quite small, uh, there should be a million such objects between the Earth and the sun at any given time. We just cannot see them because they reflect very little sunlight. And only when they collide with Earth, they burn up in the atmosphere and you can see them as interstellar meteors. This is the first one recognized ever, the first object from outside the solar system that humans put their hands on materials from it and analyzed it. I should say scientists, because the question is whether the government ever saw something like that.
0: The paper that you and your team have authored about Balau, if that's the proper pronunciation, are you now submitting this for peer review?
1: Yes, it was submitted yesterday, and uh, we look forward to seeing the comments uh, from the community. But it's an experimental study, so you know the, you cannot uh, argue with data. uh the uh, laboratory that provided these results uh is at Harvard University led by uh, uh, Stein Jacobson, who is a very reputable and conservative investigator, and uh he didn't have any bias. He thought we will find solar system spherules, but uh, when he came to me and said, uh, "I've never seen anything like it." We need to invent a new name for it. I realized we discovered something exciting.
0: From the press release that came out today about your work, it says these spherules also exhibit iron isotope ratios unlike those found on Earth, the Moon, and Mars. Altogether implying an interstellar origin. And you've given me in lay terms, and I appreciate that, three possibilities that it came from another planet, that it came from an exploding star, or that it came from a technological origin or quote unquote gadget. Do you, Dr. Avi Loeb from Harvard, favor one of those three conclusions?
1: I'm agnostic. Uh, I think we are learning something new, no matter what, because the numbers are very challenging. Uh, If you believe that it's natural in origin, uh, there need to be 10 to the power 23 such objects produced per star. Altogether, they contain about an earth mass. And that's a lot of mass around every star to disperse in objects that are half a meter in size. It's not clear to me how you can do it if it's... uh, uh, you know, if you take it from a magma ocean on a planet uh, with an iron core. So there are many challenges and I very much hope that more people will think about it, try to explain it. Uh, I, th- I believe that it's uh, a pioneering discovery that will open the door for many more in the future. And we will go after the second meteor, uh, hopefully in a future expedition. We will also look for bigger pieces. Uh, by the way, uh, we, I call this uh, meteor IM1. Uh, for Interstellar Meteor 1, which also sounds like I am one. I am the first of a population of such uh, objects. And the second meteor is called I am two, which sounds like I am two uh, part of that population.
0: Finally, for Dr. Avi Loeb, it seems like there's been a change within our government on the subject of transparency. Do you believe that government has withheld information on this general subject previously? And if so, why? Were they afraid of panic? Were they afraid we couldn't handle whatever the truth might be or something I'm not thinking of?
1: No, I think the only reason I can think about is they just couldn't figure it out because they're not a a scientific organization. I'm not sure why they didn't uh, share it with the Top level scientists. Um, I would be delighted to see it. Uh, Probably, you know, if it exists, it's probably stored somewhere. Uh, and uh, it may not exist. So I decided, you know, the oceans are not classified and I decided to go there and uh, find for myself. And I hope that more scientists will do the same. We don't need to rely on the government to tell us what lies outside the solar system.
0: Is the government more inclusive now of of your role? I mean, I would think that individuals responsible for figuring this out on behalf of the government and the military would be solicitous of your views. Are they?
1: Uh, Well, they were always supportive. So the U.S. Space Mm -hmm. Command uh, Mm -hmm. issued a letter to NASA in which uh, uh, they confirmed the interstellar origin of this uh, particular meteor, even though it's outside of the day job to worry about the national security. So uh, in a way, they supported me. And uh, during the expedition, I received emails from the Pentagon of a few officials that uh, told me that uh, it's great that I'm exploring this. And uh, I haven't seen any sign of negativity from government. It only comes from academia.
0: A final question, and this time I mean it. Have any interstellar meteors hit land on Earth? Is there a place where you can do the type of research that you've just done based in the Pacific?
1: Oh, definitely. I mean, uh, land covers about uh, a third of uh, the surface area of the Earth. But the problem is we don't have a record of that. Uh, I mean, only over the past decade, U.S. Uh, government satellites monitored Earth and allowed us to find such an object. And and the impact is once per decade. So we just need to wait and maybe the next one will uh, land on the on, on on ground. Of course, uh, if it happened in uh, the Sahara Desert, it would be more challenging to find it than uh, in the ocean. If
0: if it's a grain of sand, I imagine that it would. Your new book is called Interstellar. It's published today. The Search for Extraterrestrial Life and Our Future in the Stars. The author is Dr. Avi Loeb from Harvard. Thank you, doctor. I really appreciate it. Thanks
1: for having me. Hear more of Michael Smirconish on SiriusXM's POTUS Channel
0: 124. Live
1: weekdays from 9 a.m. to noon east, or anytime on the SiriusXM app.
0: Connect with Michael on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and at Smirconish.com. Book Club with Michael Smirconish. New episodes drop Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays.
1: BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America.
0: Is America's primary system working? Is the Electoral College still the best process for electing a president?